It's another episode. Here we are, guys. Actually recording another sweet special episode where we have uh, a guest. And this time, I feel like this is a perfect guest for this episode because the movie that we watched, I'm not going to get into it, but the movie we watched is about a guy who goes from able-bodied to disabled. And our guest is a friend of mine. We've been friends for probably like over a decade now. And when I think of what it means to be able-bodied, this is the person that comes up in my head because he is one of the people that like, when you think of how annoying it is when you think able-bodied people don't take their bodies for, or take their bodies for granted. This guy does not do that. This guy is constantly trying to push I keep saying, his, I don't say his name because I feel like as soon as I say his name, he's going to start talking and I want to get this intro out. But this guy is like the epitome of trying to maximize able-bodiedness. Every day he becomes more able-bodied than he was the day before. He is uh, a personal trainer, but beyond that, he was also a personal care attendant. So he's got a lot of experience in helping disabled people try to become more able-bodied. He has been on this podcast in stories before, many, many stories, including the time where we became very good friends very quickly when one of the first times we met, he had to basically save my life from drowning on my own phlegm. I want to welcome my good, good friend, Jeff McCool. <laughs> What's Thanks, up, man? man? Not much. That was that was the longest intro. <laughs> I've never been referred to as this guy so many times. So many times. I know. I wanted to. I was like, if I say his name, obviously you're going to start talking. And I had to get because I really do feel like you are. I'm so disabled, <laughs> and you're so able-bodied. I, so it's a really good match. I'm not even sure where to where to go with this. <laughs> Tony, are you trying to say that Jeff completes you? Jeff completes me. <laughs> and, and more, most, I'm talking about physically, but the stuff we've been through, oh man. We have such a good friendship and the stories and everything we've been through is so fun. You make me not annoyed that I'm disabled because I'm like, I wouldn't even want to be that ill-bodied. <laughs> Like, I see what you do, and I'm like, man, I'll, I'll just sit. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, so tired when you watch Jeff that, like, you're glad that you're sitting down? Yeah, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I want to I come out and say that, like, my, my, my physical abilities have been greatly, greatly exaggerated already and in other episodes by, by, by Tony. Um, really not that impressive by any physical means at all as a person. You carried me up a flight of stairs. Yeah. No, no I, I, again, like greatly over-exaggerated. I certainly love being active and I love being uh, able to do what I do as, as a job, but I, I'm not Nowhere, nowhere uh, near the levels of exaggeration that you are that you are claiming for me. So, gotta gotta bring it down a notch on that. No, I mean I haven't even told a, the laser eye surgery story, but Jeff was involved in that too. Yeah, Jeff helped me get laser eye surgery because <laughs> no. did he did he, he did he perform the procedure? 
Jeff, Jeff did the procedure. <laughs> not, not the, none of the surgeons were. <laughs> no, um, yeah, so I wanted to get laser eye surgery. And I was talking to Jeff about it over drinks one night. And I was like, I, want, I really want to get laser eye surgery. But it's not really set up for uh, disabled people to get it. And he's like, yeah, but remember, I can lift you. We can figure it out. So I was like, oh, true. So oh, true. I went to the to the place and <laughs> right away it became clear that there is no other person in the universe <laughs> that I could have brought to help me do this because he had to like, I don't even, I, do you remember like holding me and then like pushing me forward into the eye exam machine and the lady's like, I don't think yeah. this is... <laughs> And you're just like, it'll work. And you're just like basically <laughs> trying to shove me into a place so that she can do the test so I can get the surgery. What what I thought you were gonna say was uh, you know, we went we went to LASIK and there's never been a place that was less designed for accessibility. I mean, it's it's shocking to me that they weren't more ready to receive um people with physical disabilities. It, it it's it was sad. Um I mean there's no doubt that many, many, if not almost everyone that I've come across with a physical disability also has, uh, you know, serious vision impairment as a, you know, fairly, fairly common. And the place was no, no, by no means accessible at all. It was, it was super disappointing. No, yeah. The exam before the surgery, you had to like, I don't even remember all the things, but you definitely had to like prop me up, push my head forward, straighten my head like turn it sideways and just like yeah. hold it there so that I could get into, I think they had to give up on at least one test. Yeah, yeah for sure. The, uh, yeah, the, the physician there was, there was a couple of them where she was like, nah, this one's not that important. Yeah. Like we can move on. <laughs> we were just like, all right, well, if you say so, you're the expert. I guess yeah, we don't I mean, need like, this it's one. It's just a laser going in your eye. That's <laughs> a big of a deal. Yeah. Oh man, that was good times. I was going to say, it's too bad you only need the surgery once because if there was a second time, then we could bring a camera crew and film the whole thing again. <laughs> it sounds fascinating. Well, my, my one eye is still a little blurry probably <laughs> because the tests weren't done quite perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> they were far, far from perfect. Yeah. And also my head is crooked. And so like on the table... I had to kind of lie on an angle to try to get my head straight. And yeah. I don't think it was really straight. So my one eye just is like a tiny bit off. I still, with both eyes, I'm like 20, 20 or maybe even a little bit better than that. But with one eye, it's like still a bit blurry. Hold on, Tony. So Jeff was there when you went for the preliminary tests. Yeah. And then he was also there during the surgery itself. And he was there for the follow-up uh, test, which they they were so ill-equipped that one of the uh, like physicians or physician assistants had to bring in her own eye testing kit from home. That's right. Because Good they Lord. couldn't get me into the actual eye testing chair in a way that they could do a test. So she just happened to have spent like six grand or something on her own personal test because she was like a keener or maybe that was a requirement. I don't know. 
And she brought that in every time I had to do a follow-up visit. The um, You know how restaurants have uh, the letter gradings for the quality of their food and cleanliness of the kitchen? Yeah. I was I always thought that businesses should have the same sort of rating system. Like they should have a sign that they have to post on the front of the restaurant that says how accessible they are. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're completely inaccessible, then it has to be like a picture of a disabled person, like with a red X through it. So <laughs> it's really embarrassing to have. Yeah. And they get like effectively shamed into like devising accommodations to their inaccessible bullshit. Well, remember like back in the world, you might not you won't remember, but back in the day there was like the green book, which was like where uh, black people were able to go and yeah. not be discriminated against. Yeah. And whenever I feel like I want to go somewhere and I find out there's stairs, I really, it almost just feels like they're like, no, we don't want disabled people here. Like, we're, we're good. You can just sit on the sidewalk. 100%. I, I, I know exactly how you feel. Like, I always feel like I need to travel with at least two or three able-bodied people, like even when I'm in my manual chair. Or just one can- Jeff. Yeah, just one. Yeah. Or even <laughs> half a Jeff is probably sufficient. Yeah, you just need like, even like non-dominant side of Jeff is fine. <laughs> Oh, geez. All right. Sorry, Jeff. I, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass you, but like you, for the people who don't know you, you are a personal trainer. Like you, you do work is, on your physical uh, ability. Like you, you try every day to be, I don't know, necessarily stronger, but definitely more capable than the day before. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the term personal trainer is definitely pretty broad. Um, lots of different hats can be worn. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I try to uh, work on the most complex problems and try to figure out ways to solve them the best. Like I, I like working with people who are the most messed up, <laughs> um, most jacked up, you know, possible humans and they who have like very difficult problems to solve. And then I find the more difficult a problem, uh, the more interesting it can become. And the more you learn from it as a, as a trainer and uh it's like almost like a science project, right? Everybody is kind of like a little bit of a their own their own individual test tube, and it's it's sort of fun uh, from that perspective. Yeah, you're just trying to like figure out how you can optimize them to their peak physical ability, but you also have to work within the constraints of every human being who has different physical abilities. For sure. Yeah. It's um, yeah. There's there's so many different possible compensations and injuries and, and issues that people come across. I think like some of the most interesting, you know, work I've done has been with someone who I recently took on and who has a, a double, who had a double hip replacement uh, done on the same day, which is not Whoa. recommended. Oh um, that's <laughs> not what you're supposed to do. She just, I, I don't know, probably a bit stubborn when it came to the, you know, dealing with her physicians and did double hip replacement on the same day and had, incredible complications afterwards um was was basically disabled um and still uh does uh does struggle to walk for sure or to walk with a with an even gait at least like without a limp yeah maybe that's uh you know a good a good way segue into into the film that we reviewed i don't know yeah well you you do i I know we've talked about this just like in our personal conversations but you you focus a lot on gait, right? Like on yeah, exactly. Making sure people yeah. are 
Well, I mean, I'm not going to try to explain what walking is all about. <laughs> it's a bit outside your, sco- outside your scope. Experiences. Yeah. It's out of your wheelhouse. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. 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 Gates, Gates cycle focus training is, is definitely the, the main, um, driver of what I, what I do now. Um, trying, trying to relate everything back to, um, why, you know, or sorry, what is the primary function of a human? What did we design? What were we designed to do the most? Um, and walking would certainly be, uh, probably the, the biggest, most commonly undertaken task, uh, by humans, if we look at from like an evolutionary standpoint, uh, as opposed to something like sort of like you think of typical exercises like a squat or a deadlift and a bench press, those are all one dimensional movements. They just happen in what's called the sagittal plane, uh, meaning just, just up and down or just forward backwards. Whereas walking and running happen in three dimensions. Uh, there's rotation that happens. Uh, so that's the tra- that's transverse plane of motion. Uh, then there's lateral shifting that happens in your pelvis. So your body moves side to side, your hips move side to side. That's the frontal plane. Uh, and then there's also some sagittal plane movement as well too, the forward backwards aspect to walking. So walking or running, uh, they're both three dimensional movements. If you take an exercise again, like a squat or a deadlift or a bench press, or even a push up or a pull up, those are all one dimensional exercises. Uh, so they don't actually relate that much to walking or running. So they're not that useful in my opinion. They're not something that I teach people to do, uh, very much of at all, unless they have a specific stated goal. Like, ah, I really want to bench press a lot of weight. Well, okay, we can do some bench pressing, but I, I, I'm probably don't really want to work with that person for very long. And a lot of times I'll, I'll refer them out to someone who is more interested in, in bench pressing, um, as a, as a pursuit. Um, I really enjoy working in, in three dimensions and yeah, trying to optimize people's bodies to, to do what we were evolved, you know, what we evolved to do as a primary function. And that, that seems to also, uh, get to the sort of the bottom of the most complex problems more quickly um as well so that's yeah it really is almost kind of a wonder as i sit here right now uh how we're even friends when you are so good at walking and so good at like (laughs) describing how walking works and you just look at me and go you're not even trying (laughs) (laughs) do you do you ever like i know obviously we're we're friends for other reasons um, and my physical ability has very little to do with it, which is why we're good friends. But like, do you ever think about my functional ability in terms of your knowledge of that space? That's a very good question. Yeah, I mean, like we we can get into it. I I mean, I think you and I you and I've talked about this in our personal conversations a decent amount um, with spinal muscular atrophy. Your your muscle tissue uh is is obviously degenerating at, at a rate that is way outside of the normal scope and uh yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not sure where to go with that i don't know i don't i don't i guess the answer is no i don't i don't really look at it too much or think about it too much when i'm hanging out with you at all no well it's i mean it's so far from anything that we ever consider yeah um we, we do talk a little bit about like because like you said it's all like working to optimize yourself but within your limits so i'm sure there are physical things i can do and i am doing like the crazy popsicle sticks to stretch my jaw open or 
right. That's right. Oh yeah. Well, how many pops of sips? You, how did you, have we guys talked about this in the podcast? How many pops of sips are you are you up to right now? Uh, I, right now, I'm I'm actually my physio has a student. He has been coming twice a week on top of the usual once a week. Wow! So I've been stretching awesome. my jaw three times a week. Yes. So so how many sticks are you up to? Today I did eight. That's awesome. Nothing. No, weren't you at, weren't you at like five or six last time we spoke? Yeah, they start with two. Yeah, and so you know I added <laughs> six, which is like basically six millimeters. Yeah, sorry. Has, have you guys have you guys touched on this on the podcast before? A little bit. Yeah, I've teased them about it, but not much. Okay. Else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. I just want to make sure there's some context there. Yeah, that people know <laughs> what we're talking about. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. I I get like popsicle sticks shoved in my mouth to try to pry my jaw open, and I I don't know if it helps. It it definitely it definitely is bizarre, and it definitely <laughs> stretches my jaw, and I feel the stretch for sure while it's happening. I don't. I don't know if it helps. To be honest, does it feel like it improves your? Um, like, sorry, does it feel easier to talk after your popsicle stick workout? Right after, yeah. <laughs> right after. <laughs> so, okay. So, two things. I want a a workout montage, like with <laughs> you in like in like a red workout bandana, right? Like a Michael Sarah, like uh, uh, one popsicle stick. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and two i think it'd be hilarious like if you had your physio in to like do this right before the episode and we could compare and contrast we should do a live episode for patreon when we get patreon started <laughs> where we just do it on the podcast and then you can have the sticks like sponsored by like i don't know nestle or whoever the fuck makes popsicles <laughs> and one thing it has made me aware of is it's given me a new level of respect for people with speech impediments because when I have the popsicle sticks in my mouth, my physio tries to make conversation with me. And it's way further than trying to talk to like your dentist. Well, it's probably about the same, but at least when the dentist asks you a question, they take the sticks out for a second or the, <laughs> the, the whatever they use. The sticks, and uh, you know, then they ask you the question. But now they'll put like five popsicle sticks or eight if I'm crazy and start like talking to me, like, So, what are your plans for the day? And then I have to say a word like, I I don't know, there are so many words that you just can't say with popsicle sticks in your mouth. So, I have a new appreciation for how it feels because what happens is they just start if they don't know you well, like my. The, the physio student, the first time we were doing it, it was pretty clear that, like, they would just, out of politeness, pretend that he knew what I was saying and just start agreeing. And I know that, I know people that do that with people with speech impediments. And like, that's the worst thing you can do because you have no idea what you're agreeing to, first of all. <laughs> So, like, that's just dangerous. My parents used to do that to my roommates in university, and it used to drive me up the fucking wall. But in the moment, you can't call it out. There's nothing you can do. You just have to, like, push through it. Your parents did it to you? No, not to me. Like, to people I lived with in university. Oh, that had speech impediments. Yeah. 
or not even speech impediments, just like a, a slight speech affliction, affliction as a result of their spasticity. Yeah. I mean, it is hard to know what the etiquette is because sometimes you probably just feel rude to be like, nope, don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> but ultimately, like, that is what you should do. And I mean, ultimately, yeah, somebody with a speech impediment would want to know that they have to repeat themselves. Like, that's just being on the level and uh, upfront with them. Yeah, and I think they want to know that you want to know what they're saying. (laughs) I find it so refreshing when people speak to me, frankly, about elements of my disability. Like, um, it's hard to come up with a specific example. Like, one of my um, um, hangups is, like, uh, boundaries. And when um, hanging out with able-bodied people like raises the issue of uh, uh, like when when care exceeds a certain boundary, like somebody has me over at their house and it's really hard to get me up a set of stairs or to a certain, I don't know, like to get me to the to the bathroom. And so they need me to like take certain precautions before I go to their place to make sure that I can. This is a bad example. Let me let me see if I can think of something specific. Um, like when when you feel like care, what like when you're asking for too much. Yeah, you, like you, sometimes you don't know when your needs are actually causing a, a slight imposition on the people who are spending time with you, and so be, and because they don't want to be rude, and you, you you want to like you know have a normal social outing it becomes this kind of awkward thing where it never fully gets discussed until until it uh until it kind of reaches a breaking point and then it becomes like an uncomfortable confrontation so it like it's much uh better for me if people are just forthright about those types of things like you know hey when you come to my house i would appreciate it if you didn't wear your foot pedals on your manual chair because <laughs> i'm tired of having to patch up the drywall right. like stupid bullshit like that or whatever that's a completely reasonable request. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like you could accuse those people of being like, uh, like, uh, insensitive or ableist or something, but ultimately I think it is sort of like every, every friendship is a, a requires some level of reciprocation and conversation. And as long as you treat each other with respect, I don't think that, I don't think ableism has to necessarily factor into it. No, I think that even if you're disabled, you should be able to, uh, like your friend should be able to say no to you. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Or they should be able to say, like, uh, like you know, I need you to pick up your feet, so to speak, metaphorically. <laughs> Jeff, you also have a lot of you. You worked as a care attendant for a long time, so you've seen disability both like, well, that's how we became friends. But you've seen it in like working relationships and in personal relationships. Do you find as as the like when you're an able-bodied person dealing with disabled people, is it different navigating those boundaries in a working relationship as opposed to like personal relationships? I mean, uh, I, I think that like obviously with personal relationships, you just take you and I. Yeah. I mean, you you and I can like you we we can usually kind of tell what the other one's thinking. Like we know each other super well, so. No, I, you know, we know each other so well. It's, I don't know, it's almost probably not the best example. Um, I definitely think that my, my perspective is always sim- so, so simple and obvious that no matter whatever strain it is, like, for example, like, like the Jamie mentioned, the foot pedals, my, hawking up the drywall, it's such a small problem compared to 
you know, the, the day-to-day problems that, that are faced by being quadriplegic, uh, that it, that I just, I wouldn't, it would, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be a factor. Like it's not even something I would be concerned about, I guess. I guess I've also seen that the real, like, you know, the real challenges that being quadriplegic poses from a, from a care standpoint. And that's probably why I just, there's no problems, you know, there's no issues with whatever comes our, like, like you and I've been through so much different stories. Like, you know, we like, there's nothing that's come our way where we've ever ever been concerned to the point where we were like, like, Oh, this isn't going to work out. You know, we were always just saying, okay, push forward. It's going to work out. It's fine. Whatever problems we encounter, it'll be all right. Yeah. That is one thing I love about you is your ability to just like always have a good perspective because like, in any of those situations, like I remember even just the last time I was at your place and and when the ramp fell down off the step, <laughs> I was like, oh no, I've just damaged their new house. <laughs> My bad on that. <laughs> no, that wasn't your fault. <laughs> Did you have to like deadlift the chair when that happened? No, no, no. He, he ended up <laughs> it was super funny. It was actually a great, it was a kind of a great foil be- for yes. for how how Anthony, I've, I've been through so much because uh, his, you know, he he popped the ramp popped up. It didn't stay the way it was should have, which was my fault for not not affixing it correctly on a carpet uh, the way we had when he'd come in, and and he popped down. But I I immediately knew he was fine. His head popped off his headrest, which happens. We put the head back head back on the put his head back on the headrest. <laughs> you know, it's just that that's that's such small potatoes for for Anthony and I in terms of stuff we've done. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas, whereas like, you know, my, my wife, Sarah was there and, uh, she, she had, uh, she'd never been through that kind of stuff with Anthony and I, she's only seen Anthony in, in just, you know, the occasional social, social, uh, setting where nothing really too dramatic happens. Uh, and she freaked out because the, you know, <laughs> a, a, the ramp popped out of the way and B Anthony's head was half off the chair and she's losing her mind. And, and I didn't even react. I was like, it's fine. You know, everything's good. Like we're going to be all right here. Uh, so, so it was, it was kind of funny in that, in that contrast, you know, I, I, I'm guessing there's been a number of times where you've had to like introduce Anthony to other people within your social circle that he doesn't know. And they're like totally unfamiliar with disability and they see kind of the way you guys interact. And it's like a little bit of culture shock, maybe. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's probably the same way as like your wife, like witnessing your, your friendship or you solve problems or whatever. But that's happened to me, like where I've been like out with my friend Nick at Carlton or something. And like, like uh, he's taking me down a set of uh, stairs, like in my manual chair. And he's just like totally flying down the steps, like yes. no fear of falling whatsoever, like uh, just perfect command of the entire situation, and his buddies are like, "Dude, slow the fuck down! Like, do you want me to do you want me to like carry the load, or like, what's going on here?" And Nick's just like, "No, he's fine. He'll be okay. No problem." And other yeah. times, like friends of mine have like flat out dropped me to the point where it looked like maybe I incurred a concussion or something else, and it's just like, "No, he landed fine. He's totally okay. He's fucking laughing. Yeah. Like, leave him alone." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, like you, you appreciate that friendship with with your buddy with your buddy Nick. Like you, you appreciate that he's not walking on eggshells around you, right? You probably appreciate that he's that he knows your limits and and you guys are cool. Yeah, and like for lack of a better word, there's like a kind of an uh, there's a kind of familiarity or like an intimacy there yeah. that is like really rare. 
And it, and like lots of times the the reason people are walking on eggshells or the reason that they are nervous for Anthony is because um, they maybe don't see him the way that they should. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's like, there's an important thing that's happening there. And so that's why I always find like, I wish I could bring my buddies with me to every new environment that I go into, even if it's like a fucking workplace or something like that. Cause I, the, because the way that they react to me yeah. is like a kind of model for how I want to be treated everywhere. Like, I, and I know, I mean, I know everyone has boundaries and like we all wear different hats, but it's really, really hard to, to have that with someone. And that's why, like, that's why I always keep my good friends, you know, keep them close. hundred percent. That's a, that's a really great, I mean, that's a really great perspective. Like you said to, you know, you wish you could bring them into any workplace. It's like they're, they're over the, the disabled, the physically disabled part of you. And they just know you as, you know, Jamie's one of my buddies. It's not, it's not like, uh, there's concerns for, Oh, how, how's he going to be able to move or, or how does he, how does he walk and how does he, I'm sorry, how does he talk? And, yeah. uh, you know, what, how's he going to negotiate this workplace? Uh, that, that sort of thing yeah and like is, is it like is it okay for us to expect jamie to do this part of his job which is in his job description yeah. like can jamie lead a meeting how much responsibility yeah. can we give him right because it, yeah. like there's nothing there's no there are no there's no rules for this kind of thing unfortunately so we're, yeah. we're kind of like like every disabled person is kind of like a fucking pioneer like we're all writing the book on how to treat <laughs> disabled people and uh, sure. it's fun, but it's also like too much sometimes. Yeah, I think Anthony has a great device that he uses. I'm not sure if it's intentional or not. Um, but whenever, like, whenever he meets a new one of my friends, um, I, I mean, actually, you probably met most of my friends a long time ago now, so they they all sort of know your your shtick. But I, I remember <laughs> when you when you were first meeting meeting a couple of my buddies, you you just you'd really often make a joke at your own expense about yeah. your own disability. And I, I think yeah. that's something you do you do that somewhat intentionally or is that just Yeah, I, I feel like I do it because then it's if I can do it, then they can do it. Yeah. And yeah. if they can do it, then they feel comfortable. Cause like I feel like like Jamie's saying, anytime you go into a new environment, your disability is such a an elephant in the room for whatever reason, people are always afraid to address. It's like when you're around children. The first thing they say is, why don't your legs move? But yeah. then when you're around adults, they've been told, don't say that. You can't ask about that. But they're still thinking it. That's their first impulse. Yeah, because of yeah. course. Yeah. I'm always like, yeah, I don't mind talking about it. Like this podcast is a good example of that. But um, the whole point is, if you feel like you can connect with me fully on, on like every part of me then you're gonna have to address the wheelchair and that's totally fine it just means obviously we're gonna have to either use a ramp to get up a flight of stairs or four friends <laughs> but yeah no it's definitely on purpose it's it's a defense mechanism but it's also i'm like kind of trying to disarm people a bit <clears throat> disarm is the is the exact word one thing that I like to do, like as quickly as I can, when I'm trying to get familiar with a new, like, prospective group of friends, and then maybe this biases toward like male social circles a little bit more, but it's like try to, like, you try to joke with them or make fun of them a little bit, like undermine them or whatever makes makes them proud, 
um, because it's like they're not really expecting you to to uh, interact with them at that level, like to to joke with them or to or or to suggest even that there's some level of con- competition going on, even if it's like uh, in the realm of humor. Because once you do that, it's like, oh, I see how it is. And then suddenly they start treating you like they treat anyone else that they feel is on like the level with them. And it's uh, it's great. It's fantastic. My favorite thing to do is find the most athletic person in the office and make them feel disabled. (laughs) (laughs) True. Jeff, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, And I don't know if this is loaded or not, but do you feel like your your mastery of like physiology like makes you better at empathizing with disabled people Oof. interesting i don't know if i don't know if i'm smart enough to answer that question i i just mean like okay so let's make it relative to the uh to the movie that we just watched like when we were watching stronger sure. which is a movie where jake gyllenhaal gets his legs blown off at the boston bombing and then he has to recover with it and repair his uh relationship while having no legs so it's a really good film but anyway, in that movie, while we were like the first few scenes, you noticed uh, that there was a problem with uh, the alignment of Gyllenhaal's shoulders. Like one was lower than like his his right shoulder was a lot lower than his left. And then you were talking yeah. about um, what that uh, means about his like uh, the health of his lower spine, I think. Yeah. And how much how much discomfort he must be in. Like, I wonder if, if you look at someone like Anthony or someone with cerebral palsy and like all of your sort of indicators of good posture or like a a three-dimensional strength, uh, like you must get a whole lot of cues as to how they are feeling in that moment. I would think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so many, so many aspects to what you just said, I, I guess starting with the reference to the movie, uh, and, and yeah, Gyllenhaal's like overall posture, um, in that in that particular scene, it seems like he um, at part of his preparation for the role, uh, he was he was, I guess, doing a lot of work where he had to when they were filming a lot of the scenes. Um, I looked into this after the fact he had to keep his legs completely straight and oftentimes at very awkward angles so that his legs could be easily edited out of the uh, out of the film, like his like the actor's legs so that he could re- resemble someone who had lost uh, both legs uh, above the knee. Um, so he is he'd been put in these very awkward positions for filming and uh it seemed like he'd uh he developed a bit of a like a minor scoliosis of the spine which is super common i think almost almost everyone actually has some minor scoliosis uh going on in their spines uh so it seemed like the actor had developed some of that and it just it just stuck out to me i i mean sometimes that creates discomfort there's lots of people who have scoliosis and have tons of discomfort uh, then there's some people who have just you know minor scoliosis and and have no pain whatsoever. So uh, whether or not that was causing uh, Jill Hall in that at that time any pain, we don't, you know we don't know. Um, but it cer- certainly could could have uh, eventually led to serious serious issues for the actor uh, after the fact. But on the other hand, he probably has like you know a good a good medical team and lots of massage therapists to work with them and. Hopefully not as many as Deshaun Watson, but but probably a decent amount. Rob, <laughs> <laughs> you guys, sorry, I don't know if that guy's been right over your heads. Deshaun, <laughs> Deshaun Watson's in a lot of hot water for for maybe a, a massage therapy addiction and and uh, several other serious serious issues with regards to uh, sexual assault. But maybe that was maybe that was a bit off, oh, off topic really? there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you guys know about that? He, he's booked. He, he's like, I don't know. He's been booked now for, I think, several counts of, of sexual assault. Um, and With had massage some, therapists? Yeah, he, he was having massage therapy done by several massage therapists all over the United States several times a week. He maybe had a bit of an addiction going on there or some kind of weird thing. Anyways, that really that really became a tangent. I'm sorry. I thought you, I just kind of thought that Deshaun Watson was was mainstream enough news, but it clearly clearly missed the mark there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I saw him on Reddit or like when he was first like uh when the scandal was first exposed yeah. or whatever, but uh I don't know anything about sports. So <laughs> no no anyways all this to say uh Hall the actor was probably fine after the fact, although at the time that that scene was shot he was certainly dealing with a pretty, pretty out of whack spine. Uh, he was walking really, really awkwardly. Um, and and the, yeah, again, that was likely due to the, all the, uh, the awkward angles he was holding his body in for shooting. And then also um, the, his adjustment that he had to do for the particular scene in the movie where he uh, is actually walking with, um, with the prosthetic legs, uh, which was, which was a pretty cool scene uh, towards the end of the movie. Yeah, we saw we we saw like a a making of video that was just like a supercut of all of the different uh, CGI shots throughout the episode, yeah. and um, it was interesting because he he sort of wears like green screen like yoga pants like on yeah. his legs, and um, you can see that he actually has to simulate like the awkwardness of taking a step in prosthetics, like when you are just sort of learning how to uh, master them. And it looks incredibly uncomfortable, like both in the final uh, post-production shot and it, like in the like in the raw footage or whatever. So it is like quite the performance in that in that regard. For sure. Uh, with regards to the second half of your question, in terms of empathy and whatnot, uh, or how I see like people with personal disabilities in their posture, I really don't. I I I don't know. I guess I take off my my trainer hat in that regard. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't give it a second thought, I guess. It would probably overwhelm you. Be like, nothing about you is working. I guess like, I mean, I worked with, uh, with John McRae, uh, who, who you guys both know, uh, yeah. who has, who of course has cerebral palsy. You know, he was, he was coming in, this is before he moved to Toronto. Uh, he was coming in for, for sessions at, at my, at my, uh, my gym, uh, for a little bit. So when I was, when I was working with him, of course I was assessing, you know, his, his capabilities and, uh, and, and working within the, those constraints and, and how we could improve his, his abilities and whatnot. Um, so in that sense, I was for sure assessing more closely, but I guess I, yeah, when I, I, with regards to your question, I, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a second thought about it when I'm, when I'm just going, if I'm going over to Anthony's to hang out or whoever, if it, you know, whoever of, of, uh, is there, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just there. I'm not, I'm not thinking about it too much. Cool. I mean, it, it must be hard to turn it off, though, because you get so good at it. It must be like, I definitely have seen us hang out and you'll notice small things like uh, it looks like you always wear your purse on that one side. You should probably alternate your purse or your shoulder might drop or whatever. So like, I guess little things like that. But yeah, when you're when you're hanging out with with me, I, I don't. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just feel like work, I guess, at that point, right? Well, yeah, and I, I know I'm, I, I'm, I'm familiar with what your, what your body can and can't do, and as we talked about earlier, like SMA is, is, is super tough, and, and there's no, uh, there's no magic postural alignment shift or, or exercise that's gonna, that's gonna change it too much. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Aside from the popsicle sticks, the popsicle sticks are for sure going to be the magic bullet. Yeah, the popsicle sticks are where it's yeah. at. Yeah. I did see my dentist and she told me that the, it might scrape the enamel off my teeth. Oh like, no! That's not good. I feel like that's probably that's probably a strong argument against popsicle sticks. She did give me some foam to try, so I might try that. True. She also told me though that like because I had like a an, a sore in my mouth, and she was like, "Do you eat a lot of spicy <laughs> food?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's like all I eat." Oh, she, yeah, you should probably it's... cut down on spicy food. And I was like, "No, I'm just gonna keep getting these sores for sure." Because I'm not cutting down on spicy food. Oh man, that's so funny that the the physio was using the popsicle sticks, and you know you're you're thinking you're making progress on your popsicle stick, you know <laughs> one rep max, and and your dentist is like, this is terrible for your teeth. You need to stop yeah. this immediately. And I'm like, do I want to eat with my enamelous teeth? Yeah. Or do I want yeah. to have a shut jaw forever? Yeah. How useful is tooth enamel to you compared to jaw function? You know, that's, 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 yeah, that's the trade off. See, that's the kind of stuff that you're weighing. You know, you're not weighing, uh, oh, my spine is, you know, 15 degrees uh, left or right, <laughs> right. Or, you know, my pelvis is hiked two millimeters on this side, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's just, you know, it's way more, you know, way more practical than that. Yeah, yeah, it's super just like quality of life stuff. Yeah. All right, so to transition to the movie, though, how much, when you were watching this movie, did you feel like, like how much of your watching the movie were you wearing the the hat of like rehab kind of, you know, posture and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was definitely, you know, I I was watching it with as much of a critical lens as I could like unfortunately they didn't they didn't really show as much of the rehabilitation uh physical therapy side of things as i would have would have loved or have been fascinated to see um so from that from that standpoint didn't see as much uh i thought they did like i mean and this is probably where your your perspectives are more valuable i thought they did a great job of portraying the challenges of of disability um in terms of the way they showed different transfers and showering and all that sort of thing I, I, what I did like is it was, it felt like a real small town, like slice of life movie, even though the bigger part of the movie was like, can a disabled person become someone's inspiration in a meaningful way? Yeah, I actually loved that question. Yeah. Because I feel like that's a question that we've been trying to answer um, every single time we talk about disability and what annoys us about how it's received. The the first thing that I liked about this movie is exactly as you say, Tony, it felt like it was kind of like at the ground level, like it was very interested in um, the uh, life of Jeff Bauman and his girlfriend and how losing his legs impacted their relationship. And uh, like it wasn't so much uh, exploring like the 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 politics surrounding the Boston bombing or like the wider impact of that. It was much more a character given driven story. And so, like, even when uh, Jeff gets his legs uh, blown off, it, like, as as an audience member, you only see the bombing from the perspective of his girlfriend running on the road and from Jake, like, on the sidelines. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, I'll, I'll confuse Jeff and Jake repeatedly throughout this. Um, and then, like, you know, when he's in the hospital, 
like any surrounding news about the event like you only sort of hear it in the margins like from people who are watching tv and it's a lot more about like you know how his family is coping with this crisis and how he himself is sort of uh, managing the the stress and the shock of suddenly having to recover from this like crazy crazy ordeal and like to jeff's point to our guest jeff's point <laughs> yeah, very, very unfortunate coincidence that the main <laughs> character and I show, share share the same name for the for different <laughs> spelling. We could do it that way. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, Jeff with a J and Jeff with a G. Um, yeah. So, like, um, there isn't a whole lot of physio in this movie, and uh, to be honest with you, like, it might have been more fascinating if it had that kind of more technical angle, but I did really like how, um, like, you know, like when Jake, I'll call him Jake, uh, is in the hospital, like after the first few weeks and he gets his like bandages off, like the scene where he gets them removed is like incredibly tense. You're so worried for him that he's going to like have a panic attack or like he won't be able to, uh, to deal with the sight of his like unbandaged limbs and like the, 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 the doctors and nurses, they just kind of like swarm around him. Like, you know, uh, like, like those NASCAR, uh, technicians, the pit crew. like, you know, like when, like a, when like a, a race car, like drives into a terminal or whatever, and they all swarm it and change the tires and <laughs> do a bunch of shit. And then they like send it off to keep racing. Like that's kind of how they treated the, uh, the personal care workers in this movie. And the interesting thing is, is that when you like, cause I've had a number of surgeries myself and I've been through like, like uh, cast removals and like post-op like bullshit. And, um, <laughs> it's so much on your psyche at first because everything changes like overnight, like someone knocks you out and you wake up and your body's completely different and you're high on drugs and you're like, what the fuck is going on? I'm in this strange environment. I can tell that people care about me and they're looking after me, but I really just want to go home. And that's the, exactly the feeling that you get from this movie. There's like an intense amount of understanding of like Jeff's like emotional Sorry, Jake's emotional headspace. <laughs> and uh, I loved that. I thought that was so cool. I, I remember uh, 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 many years ago in 2002, uh, I had this uh, crazy surgery that I've talked about before on the, on the podcast. I had nine consecutive procedures and I was in uh, uh, f- like full leg casts like up to my hips, from my toes up to my hips for four months. And the, the day that I got the cast removed, they had to fill me full of drugs. I was high as a kite for the first time in my life. My mom had to uh, talk me down from the high because I was like, uh, it was surreal and I was confused uh, and kind of like scared. And all it was, was the physician had come in like with a saw to cut off the cast and they gave me the drugs to like take the edge off the situation. And basically this guy comes in with this little mini buzz saw and he starts cutting and he tells you like, okay, like when you feel like I'm getting close, like, you know, let me know. And I'll, I'll have a rough idea of, of how to like, that's how to how do this. Gauge it? That's, that's how it felt like at the time. What? Right after they drug you up, they're like, do you feel this? They, yeah. They're like, okay. So if you feel this, like that tells me that I'm close to your, to your legs. So what? You, you know what I mean? So I was scared shitless. And this is 18 years ago, so I could be misremembering or too high at the time. But like of all the BS that I had been through up until that point, the scariest part of that whole ordeal 
uh, was getting the cast off. And then once you, once you actually do get your, your, your physiotherapy regiment like started and they get you swimming and you, you start walking again, like you start feeling like you've turned a corner and life, life will be good again. Uh, and there is this sense that every day you're getting better, but for that period where it feels like you're, you've plateaued and you just have to wait it out and essentially like endure this like sedentary, like depression for a few months while your body heals like that's the part that fucking sucks and i i got a whole lot of that of the of those emotions that came back to me watching this movie so i i loved it i thought it was fucking awesome yeah i i also loved that the the dialogue was so real like even yeah when he first when jake gyllenhaal's character first wakes up yeah and his brother's in the room and his brother is just like fucking legs they're gone, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's exactly how, like, a shithole buddy would break the news to you. Yeah. That's just, like, how we were talking about. Yeah, that, that was epic. Have you guys ever seen Eastbound and Down? Yeah, I've seen, like, an episode. Okay, it's, like, you know Danny McBride? He's, like, this, like, kind of clownish, like, oafish, yeah. uh, schlubbier actor. Like, really hilarious. Um, anyway, the guy who made, the director of this movie... Um, also directed and I think wrote several of the the scripts for Eastbound and Down episodes. And he just has this like knack for comedic timing and like kind of like blue collar humor. Uh, and you just feel like Jake's family in this movie, like his uncles, the, the, like they're always kind of like hovering around. Um, there's a lot of scenes where his family are partying like after the fact. Uh, like after he like gets out of the hospital and just the one liners from his fucking like drunk un- uncles, like off in the corner are so funny. Yeah. It's just like, the family dynamics are exactly like real life. They're all bickering and they can't fucking stand each other. And they're all trying to like monopolize like Jake's attention and just like steal their like 15 seconds in the limelight or whatever. Remember when uh, Oprah was supposed to come? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was so good. And then the, the mom's like, you don't know where I would have been without Oprah. You don't know, like, how much this would have meant to me. And the uncle was just there, like... Oh, hey, if Oprah's your lifeline, you got a lot of deeper issues, Patty. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's perfect. so good. Oh, man. <laughs> like and, that... And we get, I was just going to say, I just would, was going to throw a, throw a dig on Oprah. Like, I mean... She's also what led to Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, and they're both complete Ugh. bags of trash. So, I mean, I yeah, I got no love for Oprah either. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> Oprah's the worst. They just, like, fly her in when, like, a celebrity, like, a high-profile celebrity's life is collapsing. Yeah. So she can, like, ask them, like, how fucked up are you right now? And, like, yeah. the fucking interview with Lance Armstrong and, like, the royal family. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, fuck Oprah. Yeah, I think the, the movie did a great job of showing how how much Jeff Baumer didn't want to be a hero, didn't want to be an inspiration. He didn't want to use this as an opportunity for fame. And and that makes you respect him so much more, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, they really navigated the term inspiration porn, which is like this big thing that I've struggled with, where, you know, when you see a person who's, life experience looks like a struggle to the point where you don't think you could ever do what they're doing to stay alive. Yeah. So many people are like, wow, you are such an inspiration to me. Yeah. And I've had it happen where people have said that to me 
And I've reacted both ways, depending on how I'm feeling. Yeah. But more recently, I've kind of accepted that I don't think I should get upset about what inspires another person, even if it's me. I don't want to, to, I don't want that to be my role. But at the same time, this movie does a really good job of explaining it in a better way than I think I could put it into words, where, you know, from the, the, the course in the movie, you know, from wanting to go on Oprah or not wanting to go on Oprah to feeling like everyone's trying to make a hero out of him. And then it ends with he's kind of come to terms with the fact that maybe this is a blessing in disguise that he can take an unfortunate set of circumstances and allow people. And that's all it is. is You just have to be okay with being someone's inspiration. You don't really have to do anything differently. The way I kind of saw it is that when it's inspiration where someone literally just doesn't have the imagination to understand your experience, it falls flat. It doesn't ring true. But if, if, if someone else's pain parallels yours, and they see you dealing with an equivalent pain uh, in a way that gives them like motivation and purpose, then then that makes more sense. If there's like a, they, the person who is inspired with you by you has to empathize with you. Right. And I, th- I think that's that's the thing. Like uh, Jake realizes that other people who were hurt by the Boston bombing see him like they they derive hope from his desire to return to normal life because they don't know how to do that themselves. And so um, they're like, Oh, it is possible. I can get past this. Um, I like, you know, I don't have, this doesn't have to be a source of trauma for me forever and ever. And that makes a whole lot of fucking sense to me. And I, I actually really appreciated that, that argument. Because yeah, so so it's like for example, Anthony, like if 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 somebody else with SMA, like a younger person with SMA, is like really depressed, or someone with CP, or like you know with an equivalent disability, they 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 come into your life and they see how you cope, and they and they they want to model themselves after you because you've solved so many different problems, or like you have a like a really robust point of view and and uh, sense of humor and. Like you pull a lot of people into your orbit and like they want that for themselves, then yeah, it fucking makes sense to be inspired by you. But if they just take like one look at your wheelchair and they go, I don't fucking know how he does it. And then they pat you on the head, then they can fuck off. You know what I mean? I think that's that's the distinction for me. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess if if someone sees me eat a Dorito and goes, you're amazing, then that's yeah frustrating. Yeah. But the the flip side is, I've been inspired by people and I wouldn't want them to be upset by me being inspired by them. Yeah. It'd be funny if you like had to check in with them, like, Hey dude, is it okay that I'm inspired by you? (laughs) (laughs) You have to ask for inspiration consent. Yeah. But the thing is, man, like as soon as you fit that ninth popsicle stick in your mouth, I'm going to shed a tear. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. It's going to be so painful. (laughs) Oh man, yeah, I'm gonna friggin' put that on my Instagram for sure. <laughs> my buddy Anthony hit a rep PR on his <laughs> popsicle sticks. His jaw is getting jacked. I'm gonna check how many popsicle sticks I can do, and then yeah, be inspired by that. No, Anthony, I love the way you said it. Like you, you said, like I've come to terms, or I, you know, I've accepted the fact that some people are gonna be inspired by me 
doing my thing, but I'm not, you're basically saying, I'm not going to go out of the way to be, you know, quote unquote, like inspiration porn. I'm just going to kind of do my thing. And if people are inspired by that, then, you know, let them be, that's fine. You know, so be it. Yeah. 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 Do you, Jeff, as the most able-bodied person in the world, uh, have a different perspective? Like, I don't even know. I can't remember an incident where we were together and someone came up to me and was like, wow, you're amazing for uh, doing that. But like, does it, do you have a different perspective on inspiration porn? Yeah, I, I, I mean, dude, I can remember times when, when we've been on a bus, like just an OC transfer bus together. And someone just came up to you and said, good for you, buddy. <laughs> you know, not, just, you weren't even doing anything. You're just sitting. We were just sitting on the bus. Right. I can have people just coming up to you and saying, good for you, buddy. Like super condescending. I, that's happened to us many times. And, and it, yeah. it, it definitely bothers me. I, I, I think it bothers you to an extent, but y'all let you speak for yourself. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. Like, I think Jamie nailed it on the head when he said, if you are inspired by me because you have some real empathy or understanding of what my life is, yeah, then that's totally cool. But if you just see me and then project what you want my life to be and then decide that you're inspired by that thing, then you're you're not inspired by me. You're just inspired by some idealized version of what you want me to be. Yeah, it's to- tokenism, right? Like, right, exactly. No real meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing about this movie that I liked uh, was like, first of all, the the relationship at the core of it felt authentic. Like at the start of the movie, Jake and his girlfriend are broken up, uh, and then he attends her marathon and obviously loses his legs, and then. She um she steps in to help him recover, and throughout the course of that, they kind of rekindle their dynamic, and there's like genuine chemistry between them. They like respect and love each other. You know, she encourages him to uh, uh, to keep going, and she she uh, he has a moment of of a panic attack after one of those uh, special events where he becomes this cripple mascot for courage. And she like is totally patient with him. And there's just like a whole lot of uh, you like you can tell that all of these anecdotes are derived from from a real relationship and from real world events. One thing that I really liked is that that relationship has problems and uh, those problems are historical. Like, you know, they had an on again, off again dynamic for for a few years before that. Uh, And after the accident, it's not like, you know, Jake and his girlfriend magically get back together because he proves himself to be a hero. Like, no, he still engages in like bad habits, like old habits that reared themselves in the relationships previously. Like, you know, he has a shitty uh, relationship with alcohol. He's like drunk all the time and his brothers encourage him to drink and, He just kind of like behaves like a kid, you know, his girlfriend has a really hard time dealing with this. Uh, And and like, as he sort of sinks into this habit, uh, he neglects himself and his physiotherapy. And you can tell that this is something that has happened to them before, but it it is now amplified by the fact that he is disabled. Uh, And that to me, like, is so fucking realistic. It's so true. Like that is sort of how, I think in, in a lot of cases, disability impedes uh, romance. It, it's not like it's it's not the disability itself, but it's like 
oh man, I don't know. Maybe that's a pretty huge can of worms. Anyway, <laughs> it's 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 really well done. So well done. Yeah. And kind of the way that they they uh they resolve their issues. When the point comes that Jake Jake decides to turn a corner, you are convinced that he uh means to do so and you understand his motivation and it just everything clicks. It just works. Like it's it's it, it, a very good movie. To your point, I, I get what you're saying. I think that when you have a disability and kind of like what you were saying before, it is really hard to know where the boundaries exist on like where you should be taking from someone in terms of like, can your partner also help you with care and drawing those lines is impossible because because I think it's fluid and you can't really draw a hard line because it depends on so many factors. Like, does everyone feel unhealthy? Do you have over, you know, there's so many things, but it's a little different in his situation just because of the fact that, you know, he acquired the disability. So he's sort of thrust into it and it's, it's impossible to instantly have good boundaries in that situation. Yeah. You're still trying to figure it out and it's, it's all very new. Yeah, and same for her. She doesn't know either what to do. Yeah. By the midpoint in the movie, you understand why she was so hesitant to get back together with him at the start of the film. Yeah. And that's why it resonates, right? Well, I also liked that it wasn't. She she wasn't not with him because of anything to do with his disability. Yeah, it was she, like not even a yeah. thing. No. You know, when she, when she gets pregnant, like she wants to keep it and she fucking expects him to take responsibility for it. Uh, and, and, you know, when she tells him, he, he like basically like breaks down and becomes very childish and says like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? Like, why are you even with me? And it's like, yeah, okay. F- this is definitely exacerbated by him having no legs and no confidence, but this probably would have happened to, to the same degree, maybe of less severity, like where he's still able-bodied. And so it it has implications for what it actually means to a person's identity when they become disabled and how it does fundamentally change them and how it does not. And I feel like those implications are are real. They're true. Uh, and I love that he was held to account. Like he doesn't get a pass for his behavior because he's fucking legless. Like, <laughs> no, man, stop drinking uh, and start going to your physio. You are a person and you need to act like one. And I just love that. Well, she has the really good line where she's like, yeah, the baby is going to be messed up, but not because you have no legs, because you're a child. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it's not like that bullshit in other wheelie movies where it's like, you know, I don't see your disability or blah, 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 blah. Like it is still there and it's still impacting their lives. Uh, but it's not, you cannot blame certain things on disability. Yeah. His dad had a really good point right after right after the injury when the Costco guy came in and his dad was like, who's going to hire him without any legs, Patty? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like my dad's had like that conversation with my mom. Like when I was really young or something, like we got to save some stuff up for little Joe. I don't know what he's going to do when he gets older. Like, (laughs) like that's been a very real anxiety for my parents for years and years. And it's just weird to hear that out loud, but also probably very fucking true. Yeah, I mean, obviously that is ridiculous because um, especially his injury, like, I don't think it's going to affect his employment at all. Yeah, like, 
but like yeah being disabled does uh, affect jobs and like it, it's it's even a question like whether or not you should put your disability like when you should uh self-identify self-identify your disability when you're applying for jobs and stuff but i mean that that was just a funny line for his dad to say. Jeff Bauman worked the deli counter at Costco. You can still do that shit in a manual chair. Yeah. And, and Costco has infinite resources. They could have made all their deli counters like manual chair accessible. It's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was kind of cool, like, it was how, um, yeah, they didn't, they, they definitely didn't, like, didn't sugarcoat the fact that his old habits and addictions uh, still affected him, you know, post. Uh, post-injury and during his rehab process, it was really hampering his his rehabilitation. And it was it was kind of neat to read about after the fact too, is how much like just making the movie ended up being being a healing journey for him. Um, he sort of touches on when they started filming the movie, he was still uh, pretty self-destructive and uh, drinking quite a bit and whatnot. Um, and by the time they'd they were releasing the movie. It was 15 months. He'd been sober. He hadn't had a drink in 15 months or so. So he'd been over a year without drinking and had really kind of turned his shit around and, and really right, right the ship in his own, in his own way. So it's kind of, kind of neat that even though, you know, when there was uh, aspects post injury that he was struggling with in terms of, you know, not wanting to be a hero or not wanting to be, you know, put into the limelight too much, putting his story into the, uh, into Hollywood and into, into the screenplay kind of helped him move on a little bit and uh, move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, um, alcohol was like the one true villain of the film. Yeah. I mean, of course they're like, you know, there's his mother and her adversarial, uh, inexplicably adversarial dynamic with his, with Jeff's, uh, wife or girlfriend, but that was mostly her substance abuse problems just accruing over years and years and years. And it's hilarious that like uh, within 24 hours of Jeff leaving the hospital, like his brothers bring him home, they drag him up the stairs and they're like, all right, Jeffy, let's give you a fucking beer. And he like, you can tell he just doesn't want one. Like his eyes are all sunken in. He's sweating. He's about to have a panic attack. And he just like, he wants to shut down and just like figure out what the hell is going on. And his family just wants to get him drunk. <laughs> when I moved back to Thunder Bay several years ago now, I decided that I wanted to curb my alcohol consumption. And that was like, I used to party quite a bit in my 20s. Like alcohol was my way to integrate uh, with the able-bodied world I felt I felt a lot of the time. Uh, and so it was really key to me socializing. And it was a crutch for me, for sure. I never felt like I was having fun unless I had a buzz. And so when, but when I moved back to Thunder Bay, I was like, uh, I'm going to see if I can have the, the, the fun of alcohol without the, without the inebriation or whatever. And uh, it was really hard to tell my friends that I don't drink anymore. And to this day, they, every time they come over, they still fucking offer me a beer. And, and, and if I say no, they laugh and they'll, they'll offer another one like two hours later. And I love these guys. Like these guys listen to my podcast, like almost every episode. They're very supportive, very loving individuals, like good people, but they have a really hard time with the no booze. And it, I'm like, yeah, that's this movie as well. Like Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's like a double-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand, you do want them, you want your friends to not really focus on your disability. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you want them to respect you to a point where, you know, they actually 
care about what is important to you. Mm-hmm. And the alcohol thing is a little adjacent to that, but it's still the same thing. It's like when you set a boundary, you want it to be respected. And, you know, this movie does explain the importance of boundaries, but also how confusing they can get. Yeah, like uh, Jake is not okay with uh, with settling into his like a role as an inspirational figure until he can rightly figure out his boundaries as a newly disabled person. Uh, Jamie, I wanted to ask you if you've ever fallen off a toilet. Oh man, out of drunkenness or just in general? Just in general, I can tell you my story. If that... Oh, countless times. Yeah, countless times. I both the bathrooms in my core floor house right now don't have any grab bars. Uh, and it took me years to like acclimatize to them. Uh, yeah, I, I fall regularly. Oh, <laughs> you're like John. I fall all the time. Jamie, can we get you? Can we get you some grab bars in there? Or? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I haven't figured out these days, but um, okay, okay. Yeah, like we we renovated my main bathroom, so as long as I stick to that one, I'm okay. All right, all right. But, yeah. Well, sorry. Tell us your story, Tony. Well, I mean, it, it, I fell off a toilet. That's the story. <laughs> but no, I mean, I was... Was it just like a really aggressive bowel movement or... <laughs> no, I used to sit directly on the toilet. Now I use like a special chair that sits over the toilet. But oh, yeah. I used to sit directly on the toilet. And it was kind of around the time where my back and core muscles were getting weaker. So I wasn't really able to hold myself up consistently and if i was i had to be like perfectly centered and perfectly straight and balanced otherwise i just fall over Uh, but the other part of it was my household was always so chaotic with the foster kids running around and so many people living there that i would get put on the toilet and then just kind of it was almost like a time for my mom to go and do other stuff. Oh my God. And so when I was finished, that didn't mean it was time to get off the toilet always. It often oh no. meant, okay, I'll get to you when I'm off the phone call or done cooking dinner or done doing laundry or whatever it is. Do you ever feel like the Metcalf people leave you on the toilet? No. Uh, where I live now, like, uh, well, generally I don't sit there long enough so they just chill in the living room for a few minutes so then i call them and they come back they don't really leave probably because that goes through my head around like you better not leave oh you have anxiety about being left on the toilet oh my god because like i've been left on the toilet for like an hour before when i've had i've been forgotten on the toilet a few times um I feel like there's a lot of weird parallels between your upbringing and that of Harry Potter. (laughs) 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 Like being left on the toilet is like living under the stairs or something. (laughs) But basically, yeah, the the story is I was like starting to fall over. So I called out like at first I just said, I'm done thinking if she comes here in the next couple of minutes, I'll be fine. I'll be able to hold myself up. And then it was like a few minutes passed and I really felt myself starting to like fall. And I was like, okay, I'm falling. And she thought, because I always got annoyed at how long they let me wait on the toilet. She thought I was just lying 
No. Yeah, to make her come more quickly. Oh, my God. So she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. And I was like, no, I'm falling. She's like, yeah, you're fine. And I fell. I think she felt pretty bad because I got to, like, stay home from school for a few days after. <laughs> yeah, you would have got bruised up pretty good because you couldn't have, you wouldn't be able to stop yourself at all or almost at all probably at that point. Yeah, it was I basically just, uh, I, I fell sideways and also <laughs> on my knees. Oh, my God. And so I actually sprained both of my knees. And ever since then, my knees have been, like, I'm always, at Jeff, you'll probably know, I'm always like, careful not to bend my knees too far. Like, that's always, like, the first thing I shout when I'm being lifted. And that's because of that falling off the toilet. And I never knew, I never knew that. Yeah, how old were you when that happened? Yeah, I was in, like, early grade school, like, grade five or something like that. I always thought that your knee sensitivities was just related to SMA in general. And I didn't really think about it more than that. I never knew it was related to just that one injury as well. Like as, as a mechanism, man, that's brutal. Yeah. So I she mean, thought I, you were I, the boy who was crying wolf. Yeah. And she was like, you'll be fine. The thing is, I don't remember ever crying wolf before that, except like she knew that I was always like, you left me here for too long. Like I was always right. like, really? Like an hour? Come on. A toilet is not a babysitter. <laughs> yeah. It's also just not, it's not comfortable for anybody to be like, no. like no matter how able-bodied you are, you don't, no one sits on a toilet for that long. That's just, it's not a good seating position. No, it's not made for comfort. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's task-based. Like it's for use. It's, you're not <laughs> supposed to. Yeah. As Jamie said, it's not a babysitter. Like you got to <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. Man, it's so funny because I, obviously I've met your mom and uh, she like she's so nice. Yeah, she has saint like qualities. But the more I hear about her on this podcast, <laughs> the more the more I am like not happy with her as a person. I mean, like, in her defense, there was always it was chaos in my house because we had yeah. like so many uh, foster kids and like. Yeah, another family living there for a time, and but she also like, was kind of the the master of the chaos. Like yeah. she brought she brought it to that level of chaos. Like, yeah. like, She's she, like, I can handle it. What's the worst yeah. case if you just leave them on the toilet for a while? <laughs> She's like the Shawshank warden. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I I have no hard feelings anymore because. Um, my life is a lot better and I can get off the toilet whenever I want. <laughs> That's such a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the reason I ask that is because in the movie, like Jeff is saying, they really didn't shy away from anything. They showed him like literally fall off a toilet. They showed him like covered in his own shit in the pub at one point. Yep. Which was insane. They showed him the first day, I really like this scene, where um, right, right after his injury, he goes to get up out of bed, completely forgetting yes. that he was able or not able-bodied, and just like smoked his face on the floor. And the way that they shot that was so good. It was great, but then they also managed to tie in a little bit of that sort of uh, Boston comedy there, the blue-collar comedy, <laughs> where... He hits the floor and his face, his nose looks like it breaks. He smacks his face on the ground and it makes a loud noise. And 
his mom and aunt are outside being like, oh, what's that noise? And uh, they, they go to open the door for him and see what's going on. And the door's locked. And his aunt says, oh, you don't open the, the door on a young boy. You never know what he's <laughs> doing in there. I think he's I think he's rubbing one out, more or less. The kid's got no legs and he's blowing loads. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like moaning because his nose hurts and not because he's, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was a really great scene. Uh, yeah, he just completely forgets how that he he's, he lost both his legs above the knee, and he yeah he just eats it so hard. Which I feel like Ugh. probably actually happened. Like I've I've even you know I've been disabled for thirty years, and I wake up every once in a while, maybe once a year, and just go oh oh yeah wait one sec. <laughs> do you really, man? That's fascinating, Jamie. Do you get that as well? I don't know. Like I I definitely have moments where I overestimate my physical ability. Sometimes I'll catch my re- reflection like in the mirror when I'm walking and it looks substantially different from how I feel like my body's moving. Cool. I'm not sure if that's equivalent, but it, it yeah, cool. like I, I guess my brain has an idea of what should be happening and then what's actually happening is different. Yeah, I get that. Like um, sometimes I think I'm moving my finger so hard and then i look and it's like not moved at all <laughs> i'm like oh i just put my hand up above my head and yeah. i moved it like half a centimeter that that i think i might go back to kind of what maggie widom was talking about about how when you're disabled your body's like a house that has been rewired in ways that you uh you sometimes don't anticipate or don't make sense there yeah I've actually talked to Jeff about this, how, like, I think that my index finger and my right hand basically take up a large chunk of my brain, like, because the rest of my body doesn't need brain power, and that's, like, the one part of my body that can do, you know, anything. So I do think that it probably brings up a, or takes up a big part of my cycles i think a lot of your brain power also goes to your eyebrows <laughs> and the maneuver you do to, <laughs> like the maneuver you do to scratch your nose it, it's, right. it's pretty sophisticated yeah no that takes a lot for sure but but tony you, you'll have like once once a year or so a time where you'll you'll wake up and and actually like just sort of briefly forget and be like yeah I'm gonna, I, do, you, do you think okay i'm gonna get out of bed and, and roll out of bed now or no, it's never that. No, it's it's more just like okay. a quick like flash of like you know like when you're like booting up or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're kind of loading the program, but I'm never okay. like okay, I'm gonna get out of bed now. And you know, it's more just like I'll just wake up and be like, oh yeah, all right, I have to like chill. Like I, I, it's it's so quick, it it like barely registers, but it's enough to. It's enough that, like, I don't think my brain is waking up every day being like, remember, you can't do anything. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm glad you don't, uh, you, it doesn't cause you any physical harm, like in the movie when he actually <laughs> smokes himself on the ground. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me was just how real the movie felt. Every part of it was believable. The dialogue was believable. The acting was amazing. It really just felt like you were watching. It didn't feel like a disability movie. 
even though it was one of the most disability movies I feel like we've seen in the sense that it was like a complete disability redemptive arc. Yeah, no, I really, really like this movie. I I didn't even once think about how they cast an able-bodied actor. Right. I don't know if, if, if that was a lapse on my part. I don't know if I'm obligated to think about those things, but I in this case, I didn't. I was fully immersed. To be fair, there were scenes where he was walking, so I feel like it's easier to VFX your way out of some legs rather than adding legs onto an amputee. Yeah, that's very true. It would have been one form of deception for the other. Yeah. There there was still apparently some some out, outcry that uh they didn't they didn't cast some people with disabil- uh, someone with a disab- disability. But uh I guess Jeff Jeff Baumer like the obviously the the real life version of him uh was apparently constantly reminding uh Jake Gyllenhaal that uh there were people who could do a better job uh with the part, you know, people who who really you know, lost their both their legs above the knee, and uh, I, I Jake Gyllenhaal sort of quipped that that made him, uh, you know, work even harder at the role and uh, and, <laughs> and really really commit to getting it right. And I mean, he did. I think I think that motivation worked because he pun intended. He really stepped up to the plate. So many puns there. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, like. The that scene that you brought up, Jeff, like where he has to walk and pretend he's wearing prosthetic legs at the end, like that's such a convincing walk. Yeah, I nailed that. How is his gait on that? Oh man, I mean, there's there's no judgment at all again there. Just yeah, the the acting chops required and the amount of preparation that was required to get that right is again insane. Like like we were talking about when when the three of us were watching the movie. I mean, the physical challenge of doing that as someone who's a true double amputee is mind-blowing but it's also all you know at that point your brain your body have convinced themselves to do it it's a must it's it's a kind of do or die sort of situation you've got to get there and get get on that uh get on those those prosthetic legs uh but yeah doing it convincingly as an actor i mean yeah he friggin nailed it and yeah i I, again it sounded like he he put hundreds um several hundred hours of preparation into into just that one scene apparently that was the the big scene that that uh Joan Hall wanted to nail and they spent a long time on that I, honestly it's like what like maybe 40 seconds of him walking from the car to the restaurant yeah, it's very yeah very brief yeah yeah but it's such a pivotal scene in the movie too because that's like sure like how we get to the girl back and that's like everything he's been working for up to that point yeah, like that's so funny to me. All he does is literally walk from the car to the restaurant and it feels like a proper finale to a wheelie movie. <laughs> True, yeah. Like you you literally see like all the work on the screen, like he just nails it. It just fucking works. I was the one thing I was kind of the whole time, how did they make this shot happen? Like I was so con- like baffled by all of the little tricks that they had to pull. And so I'm glad we were able to find that VFX reel because it was impressive. Well, I, I was saying this to Jamie. Um, it's really cool when you can see such good visual effects done in a way where it's made so you don't even realize visual effects happened. Like I'm always so used to visual effects being like transformers or something crazy. 
Yeah. And those are cool in their own way, but this is way cooler to me where it's like, um, it, it just looks so real. It's like, it's like a magic trick works. Uh, it's so much better when you're not expecting to be tricked. Yeah, that's a very good point. And it's like, like when you watch that 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 post production footage, you're like, "What? Excuse me, you tricked me!" Like that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. The movie ends with this sort of phone call. He says this, and I wanted to know what you guys think of this because. And I want to see the world from. Higher up, you know, just I just want to be normal. <laughs> I have a feeling that's what you're gonna do. Oh man. How how do I feel? I mean, that's a little corny. It was terrible. Yeah, it was real corny. I did not yeah, that probably the worst part of the movie. I forgot about it. I, I totally Yeah. I percent I forgot about it too. Well, it's corny, but like I feel like it's real. Imagine your whole life you're standing. And then, all, for, and then all of a sudden you can't do that anymore. You're just like short. <laughs> what? Like it, it would be very strange to be like, you know, I just want to get back and see the world from, I don't know, like as, as someone who sits all the time, I'm kind of curious what the world looks like from six feet off the ground. It's just easier to get stuff off a shelf. It's, it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, I guess. um should we segue into some wheel breakers tony yeah all right one sec (laughs) wheel breakers (laughs) that's so stupid (laughs) huge (laughs) i don't know how to do wheel breakers with an able-bodied person I haven't figured it out fully. I always really enjoy your wheel breakers, wheel breakers segments. So I'm happy to just sit back and observe. Jamie, did you have one? I, I do. It's a suggestion from a friend from Thunder Bay. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Okay. Actually, no, never mind. I take that back. I love my Thunder Bay friends. <laughs> Not editing that out. <laughs> so, Tony, would you? Uh, give up your disability uh, if you could be fully able-bodied. But the catch is you have to ask every new dude that you meet, that you have friendship chemistry with, how big their dick is. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, do I get to choose how I ask them? Yeah, yeah, you do. It's not like in a sexual context, but you got you to gotta find out. It's not that hard to work in. Yeah, I was thinking, like, you know, you're, like, at the produce section, you're like, so is it, like, this bag of carrots or this bag of carrots? (laughs) Or, like, you just, I don't know, because you're able-bodied now, so you go play squash with them or something, and then, like, when you're showering... (laughs) You play squash? (laughs) Yeah, that's what people do in their 30s, isn't it? Is that what you want to be when you're able-bodied? You want to play squash? It looks fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my real breakers was gonna be you get to be able-bodied but you have to play squash so <laughs> isn't it just like like tennis pretty much like badminton it's I like know. tennis in a box i guess yeah yeah I don't know one of is. my friends got concussed playing squash while he was standing upright i don't know how the <laughs> fuck it happened <laughs> 
<laughs> was he concussed by the racket or by someone's racket or the ball? I don't know if it was the ball or the racket, but he did have like uh, a history of uh, at least one previous concussion. So he was pre predisposed. The ball softens greatly on impact. I mean, it's it also it's a heated rubber, so it's quite soft. But the racket, if you got hit by a racket, you could definitely get a good, pretty good concussion. Man, you, like your like off the cuff diagnostic abilities are out of this world. <laughs> I mean, no, I've just played squash. Like, it, <laughs> like I think that's what it's like to be able bodied, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Is it really? When shit? you get to do stuff, you have experiences. <laughs> that sounds so dope. sorry i'll go back to just observing now (laughs) yeah i would yeah that's fine i think everyone would just preface introducing me by being like he's gonna ask about your dick but just be cool with it it's fine see the thing is i think i could ask most of my closest guy friends how big their dick is and it wouldn't be that big of a deal they would just laugh yeah that's the thing is like you can ask. They don't have to answer in any specific way. <laughs> no, no. So they could totally avoid the question. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, your homophobic friends might like get a little annoyed that you're asking. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think that. I don't think it would be that big of a deal. I, I, but I mean, homophobia is on its way out, though. So I mean, it's probably there's probably a really small likelihood of that happening. By this point, I've seen a couple of my friends' dicks, and yeah. it's not that big of a deal. No, of course not. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, sure, I would do that. Cool. All right, I'll let him know. Or he'll he'll listen to the podcast. He'll <laughs> <laughs> let him know I want to know how big his dick is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I, I was just going to ask if you would trade your disability for uh, Jeff or Jake Gyllenhaal's disability in this movie 100 percent. yeah yeah did you see the sex scene in that movie you fucking owned it didn't oh. <laughs> he had a great time yeah i thought it was an easy yes but i don't know uh what if i said you can't use prosthetics still easy no big deal my roommate in university in the uh, second year had no legs after the knee and he fucking uh partied i don't know that he was totally unfazed I shouldn't speak in those generalities. He like he, he obviously struggles. <laughs> uh, so you're just trading. You 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 still have upper upper body strength already. So basically, you're just trading your spasticity away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is the source of a lot of my struggles. I I guess. Yeah, fair enough. I really want to be able to. How do we do this for an able-bodied guest? What do we I do for like a last able guest? Man, you don't have to cater to memes. Like, well, I want I want to give you a hypothetical that's tough to figure out. Um, what I, if we go? What if <laughs> this is inspired by a joke Jamie and I made the other day? What if you and Sarah, you know, were on the rocks, and the way to get her back is to get your legs blown off at a marathon? Oh, sitting <laughs> for a dark ending podcast. I mean, I mean, it's. Uh, of course, the answer is yes. Yeah, of course, I have to. Yeah, say yes. Yeah, yeah. Of co- I mean, but I mean, of course, like, I, of course, I would. Yeah, get my legs blown off. I think. I think what I was trying to get at more so was, I. I honestly think you would be a really good wheelie. I agree. I second that. I don't know. I. I yeah. 
I think like I think the reason you jump at it, I, I just think you'd be a really good really. Like your perspective, like we talked about, is so good at you're so good at just kind of taking everything in stride and, and just like seeing everything in a positive perspective, which you need to be able to do to be, you know, a well-adjusted disabled person. Yeah. I mean, I'm always, imp- I was impressed by your, your, your ability to take everything in stride too, man. Like some of the stuff you, you put up with as far as your care and whatnot. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd handle it with half as much class or graces as you have. And, uh, Hard disagree. I, I also think like my perspective is so influenced by having been able-bodied by, you know, for my entire life with really no hindrances of any notable kind. So, I, I mean, from your and your and Jamie's perspective is it's this, you know, your disability is something that's affected your perspective your entire life and you've always, you know, adjusted along the way with it. So it kind of feels like I'm, I'd, I'd be working from a different starting point, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. it. It's something I think about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like acquired disability versus born with it. So two very different perspectives for sure. I mean, the person who acquires a disability, you know, let's say at age 32 is going to be always missing or always like, you know, feeling they got, like they got gypped. Whereas, you know, Anthony, your, your perspective is, you know, your life expectancy was, you know, age five or whatever. And you're, you've now, hit six X on, on that almost. Yeah. Over over six X on that now, as of a few days ago. Yeah. So you're, you're killing it in that sense. And you're take you're taking, you're taking it all as cake base or, you know, as, as, uh, as extra. So, I I mean, I think it's too, yeah. Acquired versus born with disabilities to such different perspectives. I feel like you would figure out the ability to like at six weeks in, you would be, like fully walking on <laughs> prosthetic legs. Well, I have no idea. I think your gait knowledge would just just skyrocket. You 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 become like you know those like uh, that one sprinter that uses those cool. Oh like, God! Curved... The guy who had all kinds of sexual assault allegations against him. The Did South he? African. What was his name again? Oh man, let's not even. King of true crime. He like killed his yeah. wife. Yeah, he, was, he became a terrible person. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh man, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he went, he went down some dark roads. I really don't know how to end on a happy note. All of a sudden, <laughs> no, you know what? Here, I'll, I'll try to bring it full circle. Here, put it this way: if I had acquired disability at age nineteen before working with you and and Jamie and uh, and the whole gang at at uh, Ten Services at Carleton University, I think if I acquired disability at that age. Before my experiences there, I would have been a freaking terrible disabled person if I'd, you know, been in a Jeff Bomber type of accident. I, I'm sure, you know, I I had a lot of improved perspective and 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 a much more more well-rounded uh, person as a result of my experiences there. Still have a long way to go in a lot of ways, but man, that uh, I mean, those first first few weeks and and the and the years that I worked there definitely changed my perspective, and I think would help me. A great deal if I ever did have some kind of accident befall me that was that that, that left me with a disability. Well, I mean that that's awesome. It means a lot. I hate compliments, so I I, I don't know how to react. <laughs> I know you're just <laughs> looking for a way to deflect out of it. I can feel it. Yeah, I really am. Yeah, I, was... I know. I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say, like, 
you're about to have a, a child and I think you are going to be like a fantastic parent because of that perspective too. The, the way that you think critically about the world and, and like empathizing with different perspectives and you're crushing it now and you're just going to keep crushing it more and more. So I'm really excited to see. I'm excited, I'm excited too, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun time. Oh yeah. I don't even know. It's uh yeah, it, that that's the next big challenge. You know, that's, I think that's, it's good to do hard things that put us, put us out of our comfort zone. And um, this is definitely going to be outside of mine. And I think that was the great thing about this movie too, is that it was, there's, you know, his comfort zone was just being a kind of a, you know, guy that liked to drink and kind of, you know, have a good time watching the Red Sox and, and living it up as a, as a Costco, as a Costco deli guy. But he, like, he really got put into some hard situation or to an incredibly hard situation. And uh, yeah, he grew a lot from it. And like I said, that sort of like after story hearing that the, the, the real life Jeff Bomber, you know, had become sober and really turned himself around. Um, it was great to hear. So, yeah. Well, you're also lucky you've got, Sarah, who's going to be an amazing mom too. So, and hopefully oh, one day, maybe she will be a, a guest on here. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I yeah, she uh, she definitely wants to as well. But she yeah, she's in so much discomfort now. Pregnancy is nuts. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That's like another like another whole category of it's it's a form of disability. It's obviously temporary. But my God, like that's a good point. She cannot move she is she can't sleep because she gets like you know tingling in her arms it wakes her up it's painful it's it's i mean it's nothing compared to what you guys go through on a daily basis i'm sure but it is it is really it really sucks it's it's tough man i don't i don't know i, I <laughs> it's wild to it's wild to watch i'm so like helpless to see it and do anything about it but it's it's hard for sure are you helpless like have you been able to apply any of your like sort of body mechanics knowledge on yeah to an extent to an extent, but it, it, it is just a lot of weight in one spot and it's pulling on so many different parts of the body. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're, there's also, I mean, you guys probably know this when you're pregnant, your body, your, your body, the female body releases the hormone relaxin, which makes all of your joints, um, more mobile, uh, and less stable. Um, so you're, you're at a very high risk of even a slight dislocation of a, of a hip or a shoulder elbow um all kinds of different injuries can befall you when you're when you're relatively far along pregnancy wise just from even just i had a client a few years back so she was just putting reaching to put on a winter jacket uh and she kind of you know the jacket was a little further away than she thought and she popped her shoulder out what? like pregnancy oh it she pregnancy is nuts it's so it's so crazy i mean i mean i'm in awe you know i'm in awe every day for sure of of what uh she can handle and, and what she's handling. It's yeah. yeah. Mind blowing. Yeah. That is a really good point though. How it, it's like, it, it is. Well, first of all, it's amazing that women keep having babies. Yeah, totally. Totally. I don't know how anybody has more than one. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Like you go through that and then somehow your brain's like, I'm going to do all that again. <laughs> I want to do all that again. Yeah. yeah. Sev like several times like i really want it <laughs> but it is it's like it is a temporary disability in a way yeah for sure well i just want to say you know thanks man for coming on 
That was super fun. And I mean, I don't think there was a better person to watch this movie with. You were able to give some really sweet perspective in terms of like his rehab arc, I guess. And also just like the body mechanics of walking with prosthetic legs, which is insane to me. Jamie and I would have been imposters if we tried to talk about a movie about a guy learning how to walk. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. (laughs) And someone who is a gate specialist. Uh, So if anyone, you know, wants to learn anything more about being the most able-bodied you can be, reach out to Jeff McCool. We will put a link in the description. His gym is called Intention, as in in an intention, like T-E-N-S-I-O-N. If you guys want to ask your questions about gait and three-dimensional walking stuff, <laughs> please don't bring those questions to us. Bring those questions to Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I'm always, ha- I'm always happy to ch- always happy to chat thanks for having me that was really fun guys yeah thank you peace bye everyone